This week, we discuss the different approaches to vulnerability management uh, amongst ourselves. Uh, as we don't have a guest for that segment, we're going to do a topic on vulnerability management, which is, as you'll find, very timely. Then we jump straight into the enterprise security news, latent AI, Optive Security launches managed XDR, an intriguing update to Mandiant Advantage, reversing labs, raises $56 million, Morphosec announces a new incident response service, and more. Then we have back-to-back micro-interviews from Black Hat 2021, Carolyn Solskar from Detectify, and TJ Null from Offensive Security. Stay tuned for all that and more on this episode of Enterprise Security Weekly. This is Security Weekly, for security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where we talk security vendors and aren't afraid to name names. It's Enterprise Security Weekly. Wide-scale adoption of cloud applications, an increase in remote workers, and expansion of branch offices has rendered the centralized on-premises security model impractical. Enter Cisco Umbrella. Umbrella now includes secure web gateway, firewall, and cloud access security broker functionality, plus integration with Cisco SD-WAN, all delivered from a single cloud security service. It helps businesses of all sizes secure their network and extend protection to roaming users and branch offices. Security doesn't have to be complicated. Get simple, smart, and powerful security with Cisco Umbrella. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash Cisco Umbrella to learn more. Cybercriminals are using social engineering loaded with urgency and fear to successfully prey on victims, your employees, or your customers. Protect your Office 365 email from today's most sophisticated attacks with Barracuda Email Threat Scanner. It's a free tool to help protect your business from these hard-to-detect attacks. The Barracuda Email Threat Scanner uses artificial intelligence to hunt and eliminate Office 365 email threats. Find the cybersecurity threats hiding in your Office 365 email right now. Get your free email threat scan at securityweekly.com forward slash barracuda. Welcome everyone to episode number 238 of Enterprise Security Weekly. Today is August 11th, 2021. I'm your host, Paul Asadorian, joined remotely by Mr. Adrian Sanabria. Adrian, welcome. Hey, should be a fun chat today. Yes. Uh, some interesting news today. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Also, Tyler's back. Yes, Tyler's here. Tyler Shields is here with us as well. Tyler, welcome. Afternoon, Paul. Thanks for the uh, for the late late addition to this week. I got back from Black Hat Conference last week and glad to be back with you guys. Sweet. Outstanding. Security Weekly Unlocked will be held in person this December 5th through the 8th at the Hilton Lake Buena Vista. We're excited to announce our first round of speakers that includes David Kennedy, Alyssa Miller, O'Shea Bowens, Marina Chiavada, Patrick Cobble, Chris Eng, Eric Escobar, Kevin Johnson, and Justin Kohler. You can visit securityweekly.com forward slash unlocked and register today. Also join us on August 26th at 11 a.m. Eastern Time to learn how to implement cloud security that actually works. Uh, this one's sponsored by Tanium, uh, and it will be on August 11th. And really to focus on cloud, uh, how, how to implement cloud stuff that actually works, which I think is a, a, a really good topic. If you missed any of our previous webcasts or technical trainings, of course, you can visit securityweekly.com forward slash on demand. The topic for today that we're going to discuss is around the different approaches to vulnerability management. 
I feel like it's been quite a journey. I'm kind of enamored for a couple of reasons with this topic, uh, Adrian and Tyler. Uh, one, we're doing a group product uh, review on vulnerability management right now as we speak. Uh, we've done a lot of evaluations of open source technologies, uh, and we'll continue marching down the, the product technologies as well uh, in this space. And I think you know we've already learned a lot, even though we're kind of in the middle of it. Um, I also in kind of, am kind of enamored with like there's old and new problems, both of which I don't think we've really solved. Right? I think there's still a challenge of how we identify all the assets that need to be scanned and do asset management correctly and accurately. Uh, I also think there another big topic is how we prioritize and remediate and how we prioritize the remediation are still like huge challenges today, not all that dissimilar from 20 plus years ago when we were talking about vulnerability management. Adrian Tyler, turn over to you for initial thoughts. I kind of think I know where Tyler would go on this. Given <laughs> you know right position. where I'm going to go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I mean, I think, I think across the board, the biggest problem is knowing what you have. You don't know what you have, you can't fix it, you can't fix vulnerabilities and things you don't know that you have. So for me, asset, Cyber asset in the broadest sense of the word is the most important thing when it comes to discovering vulnerabilities. Now, if you have, if you understand what you've got, great. Look at it, assess it, look at the current state, look at the events emanating and look for issues within all of that. Um, but I think for, for my opinion, it tends to stem into knowing what you have. And then from there, um, actually we mentioned it in the pre-show discussion that we were off air, a lot of the, the remediation really comes down to accountability without accountability for issues people won't fix things right and so right. um you know knowing what you have accountability on the back end and then it just comes down to efficiency in the middle and how, how to figure out ways to make less false positives lower false negatives and actual true signal to the output right that's the key yeah it's an interesting you know, go ahead adrian sorry do you have a thought there <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how much I should talk on this. I, I'm, I'm in danger of not stopping if I start. <laughs> but uh, certainly, you know, if I'm to pick one thing that, that really irritates me, it, it's, it's the lack of innovation that I, I think we've seen in kind of the traditional uh, network vulnerability scanning space, uh, particularly with what Tyler called out first and foremost is knowing what you have. And and these scanners today are, are just still terrible at asset identification, accurate mm -hmm. asset identification. Mm -hmm. So they'll come up and they'll say, yeah, it's running some form of Linux. But these days, that that's not good enough. Like, like, everything's running Linux. Like, there's tons of IoT devices. There's... You know, you know the the Google Home devices on my network. The phones on my network uh, are, are running Linux. You know, it thinks my uh, my Ubiquity devices are are Debian servers. And, um, and don't forget, in the cloud with uh, computing and or containerization, much of that is based on Linux in some capacity. And uh, yeah. I think when I talk to, it really it's interesting. It doesn't matter what. Uh, solution they have for Linux in the enterprise. But when I talk to the vendors that deal with Linux, they all tell the same story of a lot of organizations come to them or they go to them and they ask them, like, do you have Linux? And they're like, no. And they're like, well, okay, you deployed in AWS. And they're like, oh, wait, yeah, we do, we do have Linux. <laughs> Mm -hmm. and, and, and there's no excuse for it these days. Um, you know, the, the reason I'm so harsh about it is 
My Ubiquity devices, the MAC address is Ubiquity. Mm-hmm. You know, it's running proprietary Ubiquity uh, services, you know, f- that literally there, there's a TCP service or UDP service. I forget what it is, but you can basically ping it and it tells you exactly what device it is, what model and mm-hmm. like the firmware version on it. Uh, they couldn't make it easier to correctly identify this device. Uh, but for whatever reason, you know, they, they just haven't kept up. You know, and they're they're still using, you know, the old ancient, uh, you know, which Nmap still uses, you know, just looking at like TCP timing and sequence numbers and stuff like that to to identify mm-hmm. the, the operating system. And to make it worse, when you look at Rumble these days, you know, in, in just like 18 short months, Rumble has made such huge leaps in improving asset identification. Uh, supposedly, they've got an update coming out where just with an active network scan, they can tell what antivirus you're using mm-hmm. on a host. Like, like they're doing amazing stuff and just, you know, leapfrogging, you know, the other folks who have been in the business, you know, who are public companies, you know, spend tons of, of, of money on, on, uh, on research and supposed innovation. Yeah. And, and this, but you I, know, I think H- HD Moore's tiny, tiny company is just like <laughs> passed them overnight. I, you know, but I think that's an interesting different approach, right, that maybe not everyone has realized is that we've historically relied on your vulnerability scanning vendors to do this asset, at least a portion of your asset yeah. identification. Mm-hmm. True. We can't, we need another project that comes before that to say, how are we going to identify assets and where are we going to look for those? And then when we find them, how do we operationalize it and what do we do with them? Right. That's uh, back to your point, Tyler. Right. Someone's got to be accountable for them. If you, if you well, don't have that process in teams defined, then having a process that finds all your new hosts, like who are you telling about them and what are they supposed to do about them in what time frame? Yeah. The other thing to think about, too, when we're talking about assets is when, you know, it's 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 one thing to say IP addresses are assets. Great. OK, we'll end map. We'll run a rumble scan. We'll do a whatever scan that looks for IP addresses and hosts. And we map all that. And you should map all that. You should know what's there. But it goes way beyond that because, you know, if you start to think of assets as broader classes of assets, as identities, as repositories, as other other things, you start to get a much broader sense of where vulnerabilities can exist. So take, for example, your cloud configuration. Your cloud configuration may have some IP addresses in it that represent some hosts. But literally, if you could get a login to the cloud configuration and look at the configuration from an internal vantage point, you may find vulnerabilities that aren't even attributable to an individual IP address, right? Yeah. Uh, permissioning vulnerabilities, things like that. So I think the concept of vulnerability shouldn't be tied to an IP address. I think it should be tied to a broader sense of assets and looking at assets in a much broader way. Um, and I don't, I don't think the current scanners do that. I think the, the current scanners are one piece of it, right? Agreed. Knowing what IP addresses you have are one piece of it. And you know, a tool or a system like, you know, if you want to talk open source, Neo4j is is fantastic at being a centralized management system that you can pump all of that, um, all of that cyber asset data into and look at the relationships and how things interoperate. Uh, it's a free version. Go ahead mm-hmm. and do it. Cartography, fantastic. Use it. It's free. Um, but it just takes a little bit of engineering resources to date. And that's why those things haven't been drastically adopted all over the world. Yeah, we can certainly attest to that on the open source front take some engineering <laughs> to get there, yeah. which, yeah. which I mean is to be expected. Um, but what I find interesting is when you start to develop policies that 
you want to enforce essentially i don't like using the word enforce right but mm. you know we want to be use softer language than that maybe in these discussions but when i think of the attack vectors and how maybe i want to develop a policy that says look for any saas based service that we have if it can use our single sign-on system it should and our single sign-on system should have multi-factor authentication and then mm -hmm. anything else that doesn't support maybe our SSO should also have two-factor. Like how do you, so if we use our approach, how do we discover all of the SaaS services that we have and then identify which ones are supported by our single sign-on uh, service and maybe which ones haven't been implemented in our single sign-on service and then take the ones that aren't and make sure they have two-factor. Like that's a, that's a huge project in and of itself. Yeah, and you're talking one asset class. Right, you know, out of exactly. Hundreds of different asset mm -hmm. classes you need to secure. So I think, and I mentioned this before, I think a lot of that has to do with accountability of, of risk acceptance. You know, it's one thing to divide, to design that project you just outlined, and it's, it's fantastic the way you approached it. But what's going to happen when you've got that one tool that's mandatory for the business that doesn't do any kind of 2FA? Are you going to kick the tool out? Are you really going to say, hey, business, you're done. We're not mm -hmm. going to do it. Um, you can't. You have to accept that risk, right? And without accountability of of vulnerabilities and tracking of them, you'll never you'll never accurately accept the risk. You'll right. just you'll just check it, check the box, right? But the reality is, somebody needs to be accountable. So if that system gets hacked, this person said yes, we accept that risk, right? They need accountability, and I think that's the key thing to getting things done. Mm. For sure. It is interesting, uh, back to the network side of it, how Rumble is pretty amazing. And Adrian and I have already tested a bunch of tools for doing yeah. everything from asset management to vulnerability management to patch management. And I always come back to Rumble as my source of truth. <laughs> I love Rumble. It's really it's a amazing. fantastic tool. So, so speaking of that, just to kind of outline things here, you know, I don't know if we want to focus on any specific area here, but it might be worth mentioning just how broad vulnerability management is these days. Absolutely, because um, you could actually look at the phases of a pen test uh, mm -hmm. in in the past to get an idea uh, of what vulnerability management looked like, because that's typically what you'd be paying a, a pen tester to go up against. What was, you know, and you group your assets into internal. Uh, external, which, you know, there'd be some overlap because you're essentially looking at the same assets from two different perspectives. Uh, but then you'd have, uh, you know, OSINT assessments would be common, you know, and that would be done just to make sure that, you know, may maybe the client's missing some external assets. There's some assets they don't know about, and oftentimes you, you would find them. And, and that's its own entirely separate segment from vulnerability management today. That's, you know, attack surface discovery, monitoring, management, whatever you want to call it. Yep. You know, but then then you've got the, you know, a web app assessment would be completely separate, you know, from, from the internal uh, assessment, the external assessment. You know, a web application is a whole different deal because mm -hmm. there's no database of vulnerabilities on your proprietary web application. Mm -hmm. Those have to be discovered uh, potentially for the first time if you've never had anybody do a pen test against your web app. So any custom code you've written, that that's a whole different assessment. And then all the libraries that are getting pulled into that, you know, so AppSec has its own huge yep. chunk of vulnerability management mm -hmm. that didn't exist before. And now cloud also does. You know, because it's introduced all these new asset classes. Now S3 buckets are an asset class and mm -hmm. serverless 
components are an asset class and uh, containers are an asset class and code, code, you know, publicly accessible code repos are an asset class. So as it grows, you know, I think a lot of people haven't kept up with, with the technology in monitoring this stuff and, and staying aware of it and being able to discover it. Mm. Yeah, it is. There is an interesting degree of separation that you try and make between your IT assets and your other kind of infrastructure assets, right? We're kind of in the process of that at, at CRA. Like, okay, what what is IT security? And then for the applications that we provide, that's like a, a totally different thing. We need a different approach, different tools, different processes, and different people are responsible for it. And then how do you normalize the findings to for prioritization across those different styles, right? Cloud, infra infrastructure, and AppSec. How do you normalize what makes something more risky? Is a cloud vuln more risky than an mm. infra internal infrastructure vuln versus an AppSec vuln? And then deduplicating them. Do they cascade amongst classes? And I think like some of the vendors like um, Threadfix, Kenna, others have tried mm. to solve some of this problem. I know Kenna at one point a couple of years ago had added... Um, had added a AppSec module um, to their to their platform, um, and now Kenna's I think got bought by Cisco, if I recall correctly. Yep, and yep. so you know that that combination of infrastructure, cloud, because they're going to play within the cloud selection or section of Cisco, plus the AppSec module. How do they go about normalizing it all? That's that's going to be a big problem as well. Yeah, and it's interesting because uh, I am talking to folks who are putting this all into one system, like Kenna or a uh, Brinka or something like that. Brinka, yep. Yeah, and, and I even missed a few, you know, vulnerability disclosure and uh, and uh, bug bounties, and then data data leak detection are also categories mm -hmm. of of you know products and things that you know are are now usually handled by uh, whatever group handles uh, vulnerability management these days. And I think that's likely the greatest challenge is it's often not technically how we find these things or uh, assess the vulnerabilities in them. It's what we do with them once we find them and how we prioritize them in several places, in one place and finding the, getting to the point where someone can actually fix it, right? Is always been the struggle, you know, spending all that time at Tenable I would say that's probably still today the number one challenge that people have with vulnerability management is, you know, technically we can find all of these things. It's how you build the systems and processes uh, and policies so that stuff actually get the right stuff actually gets fixed in a timely manner. Yeah, yeah. I, somebody has to, to your point earlier, somebody has to own all those processes. Yep. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's one of the nice things about, you know, in the newsletter, we're going to talk about Intrigue uh, getting acquired by Mandian. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the interesting things there, yeah, I mean, generally the attack surface management uh, um, category is interesting. Uh, but if you look at, so Intrigue is, is open source, kind of the core of what they do is called Intrigue Core, and you can go look at it on GitHub. And uh, and really, they're they're using this huge group of open source applications. Like you know, there's one tool that does the DNS brute mm -hmm. uh, brute forcing, and uh, you know another tool that uh, looks for certain DNS vulnerabilities or, or configuration mistakes and things like that. And, and on and on and on. You know, looking for open S3 buckets, looking for data leaks. Um, and traditionally, like when you'd have a like an OSINT. 
assessment or something like that, you know, there, there would be pen testers that maybe script all these tools together, you know, but it wasn't until somebody built an enterprise product to do that, that you could really properly prepare for that kind of thing, you know, without having to just manually find, incorporate and run all these open source tools, you know, so it's, it's, it's a lot to keep up with, you know, and somebody's got to own that piece. Yeah, and the, the the ad hoc scanning doesn't scale, obviously, right? Because I mean, we've Adrian, you and I have cobbled some of these tools together and make them work. But if it's not working within a centralized process and in right. you know tools to get to the people that can fix the things, it, it, if it's running on Joe's workstation when he thinks hmm. to run it, right. you know, run the command line and maybe you know paste it into a spreadsheet somewhere like that. Yeah, no, it, it has to be operationalized like like in such a way that it all goes into one place. So again, like a Brinqua or a Kenna, you know, you need some uh, um, <clears throat> system of record mm. for all that stuff to go into. You know, maybe it's an Exonius or something like that. Yeah, you know, or, so or it's interesting. One. Yeah, Jupiter One would fit, Exonius would fit for sure. So it, what's interesting to me is, do you guys see that Gartner, I don't know if you saw it, Gartner put out a report a week or two ago. They're calling this market CASM, C-A-A-S-M, because that's exactly what we need is another difficult to remember acronym. <laughs> um, cyber Asset Attack, Cyber C-A-A-S-M, Cyber Asset Attack Surface Management. They basically jammed attack surface management with cyber asset management into a single unified market that included Axonius, Jupiter One, Intrigue, Sonray, and a couple of others. Mm-hmm. Um, which it's a, it's a, it's all the stuff we're dancing around. It's the unification of knowing what you have from a cyber asset standpoint, and then using that to understand what your threat landscape looks like. But if you read the wording of the of the report. It's literally all about cyber asset management, which appears to be the broader, all-encompassing kind of, I guess, version of the definition of that market. So my initial reaction is the jokes are already starting to form in my mind. Oh, yeah. Chasm. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So I like it from that perspective. Um, my, my other you like take it, but You is, like it because you can do jokes around it, Adrian? <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. Um, mm-hmm. But I also don't like it because... I, I really think it should be called external asset management. You know, like like but, if, if we're going to okay, have I'm such a long description. Why external? Because it is 100% external right now. None of this is doing, you know, none of these uh, vendors that are really in the in associated with the term attack surface management are doing right. anything internal at all. Right, which is why and, I and struggle what with the, the merger of those two terms, 100%. What, what they've done is they've further confused it by by mixing the two, but then yep. keeping the, the familiar attack surface management piece. And, and it should just, it should all be asset managed, asset discovery and asset management, and then broken down into, are you doing internal or external? Because every one of yeah. these companies... Anybody getting into one of these products is going to be confused up to a certain point to where they realize, oh, this is mapping my internal stuff. Oh, this is mapping my external stuff. Mm. That's right. Yep, I agree completely. That's my struggle. But if you read the report, it reads the way you're defining it, right? It reads as this global view of everything you have, internal, external, combined. But the problem is they jam that attack surface management, which comes with the notion of outside in. Nobody tell Gartner, but could you send me that? 
<laughs> I, I, I will not send it to you. I will not send it to you. <laughs> yeah, it, it's interesting when we think about the different categories and how they're merging. In it comes down to like, what do you need? So, do I need to go find an attack surface management vendor? And then do I need to go find an asset management vendor? And then I have to go find a vulnerability management vendor. And then I have to go find a patching vendor. And how much can there be overlap in those four different categories for me to accomplish my goals? That's part of the yeah. challenge. Yeah, it's, it's, um, well, it's interesting. You know, I mentioned the, the acquisition of, of, um, of intrigue into Mandiant. So, so far, we haven't seen an acquisition, uh, you know, Risk IQ went to Microsoft mm -hmm. and uh, Expanse went to Palo Alto. So, we, we haven't seen an acquisition by a traditional vulnerability management vendor. Oh, so didn't far. Rapid7 buy someone? Rapid7 bought one. Uh, did they? Yeah. Did I miss that? Yeah. Who'd they buy? They bought someone. I think that was the only example that we could come up with. Insights. Yes. yes, you're correct. They did buy insights. Okay, I'm wrong. Well, at least you know. And, well, and in, in, in where I was going with this is um, now with three or, or actually four, including insights. Um, this is going to go like Casby. You know, I think uh, Casby vendors popped up. You know, uh, start coming out of stealth, and uh, three years later, maybe the the majority of the market was acquired, and I, mm -hmm. I think this market's going to go the same way. Yeah, because I want less vendors, not more. Yes, it needs to be consolidated. I mean, it, it's cool if they can import from that tool, but you know, from an overhead and a management perspective, you know, you you don't want more security vendors; you want less. Yeah. We've been talking about that all year where the more vendors you have to manage, the more overhead you have. And literally, we, we've seen the studies that say you get a worse security outcome the more vendors you have. Right, right. It'd be interesting to see who those vendors uh, emerge with a more unified platform to accomplish these goals and solve the challenges of essentially what comes down to vulnerability management. And I use the term vulnerability kind of loosely in there. It could be that if I have this particular asset, whether it's in the cloud or whether it's a physical system or whatever it is, just the fact I have that could be a finding and potentially a vulnerability. Yeah, and and they, you know, I hope they're not all separate modules either. You know, like like to me, this is, you know, what a lot of the um, more mature attack surface monitoring or, or management vendors are doing, like. Uh, uh, Psycognito and and Rendori and and some of those folks and, and to an extent uh, Intrigue and Bit Discovery is going in, in that direction also. Um, you know that they, what they're doing can almost replace existing external vulnerability uh, yeah. scanning scanning tools already. So this should not be I should not have to pay extra for this. It should not be an extra module. This is just how external scanning should be done now. Right. Yeah, and it's interesting how there's patch management and vulnerability management. Now those lines are being blurred, which I think is a good thing. I like Qualys's approach to, hey, if we're going to find it, we're going to just help you fix it too, right? I, I think there's nothing wrong with that approach. I think the main challenge you run into there is those are generally different groups doing that, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It comes so, down to people. So sometimes it gets tricky, like like... Who buys the tool? Does it come out of IT's budget or does it come out of, you know, security budget? Mm -hmm. You know, but they, they both need access into it. 
Yeah. And and what's the what's the difference between patch management and vulnerability management in that respect? If there's a tool that I have an agent that goes on my systems that tells me, hey, you're missing updates, right? It can tell whether those are security or not and it allows me to manage that. How, how, is, that, how is that different? What's, it's the same question as what's the difference between a bug and an application security flaw in your web app? Right. The intent, the intent of the attacker. Yeah. Well, and I, I think more directly to your question, Paul, you know, it has to do with which which piece of software is actually pushing those patches, mm-hmm. you know, and, and where the folks log in, uh, you know, to push a button to make that happen or, or where it's fully automated out of. So it, a lot of it's uh, where the decision is made, I think. Mm-hmm. Who has control over that? Does security get to say when the patch goes? Do they get final say? Yeah, generally it's going to be the asset owners who are not the security folks. Right. Yeah, I, I like to see both teams on the same platform because I think it makes it easier to integrate maybe not more advanced, but other things such as breach and attack simulation more mm-hmm. easily if they're all on the same platform. I, I like yeah. the approach of treating, Agreed. you know, you're going to treat your IT-based systems similar to the way we treat applications in that we're going to find stuff, we're going to fix stuff, and then we're going to run simulations. Uh, yep. And when those are successful, we're going to fix the, the, the gaps that they're finding. I think that's the only way you can be more resilient today is if you have those processes. Because then they can be on the same page and they can be, you know, they can love one another and get along better. <laughs> and I agree. You know, it, we, we can have some healing and we can, you know, sit down, sing eat lunch together. Well, and I, I think your, it your helps with the side. priority too, because you know, the phone scanner is going to tell you about everything that you're missing, but the breach and attack is going to go, no, we use like these two misconfigurations in this vulnerability to accomplish a goal. Like, let's go fix those things. I think that really here's, helps priority. Here, here's to me the most interesting thing about cyber asset management and governance systems like Jupiter one, Exonius, even to a degree intrigue and things that were outside in focused, right? The, what they provide is connectivity between all your assets, the relationships amongst them, but specifically they provide on the back of all that analysis context that levels up every part of your cybersecurity program. So the context that comes from knowing what you have and how it all operates levels up incident response and incident handling. It levels up vulnerability management. Mm-hmm. It levels up uh, you know, compliance, right? It, it levels up literally any security use case you can imagine via the context you get from those relationships and asset understanding. So that to me is what's really exciting about this chasm market. I really like Vicarious uh, positioned in, in this mix as well uh, and to solve this problem because what they have built is a system that gives me an inventory. Again, I got to know about the stuff, right? And put the agent yep. on it. Tells me what's on that device. It uh, tells me about vulnerabilities. It can patch things and it can do um, uh, pat- what they call patchless, right? But it can put in-memory protections uh, mm-hmm. for those things. But the the lens that they look at vulnerabilities, I thought was a very novel approach because they brought together many data points that you may not often consider. And we went through exercises on Paul Security Weekly doing this, right? And it was about, okay, there's a vulnerability in Firefox. Well, how exploitable is it? It's just one thing, but how many workstations are running it? Who owns those workstations? How often is it used? And, and it allows you to make 
smart decisions. If there's something that people are using, it's in the approved list, then we, we better patch it or maybe put memory protections around it or both, right? And I thought their approach was really sound. Now, they're biting off a lot, you know, in the market, right? But I think that's what we need in this space is, is someone to, to take on all of these challenges. Well, it, you're still going to have different workflows for different things, though, right? You know, like like the um, CSPM vendors, you know, are kind of going after the, uh, you know, the DevOps workflow, mm -hmm. you know, and App AppSec is going to have a different workflow. Like, like oftentimes, you know, maybe for security, you know, for, for just having like a good overall view of, of things, you want 100% of everything in, in one place. So you can prioritize, you know, you can look at your, your general risk. Um, but the people actually, you know, fixing these bugs, you know, making these changes, uh, there's going to be several different workflows and it's not a bad thing. You know, I don't, I don't think you can, I'm, I'm not sure if it's ever going to be feasible to create one system that has the workflow uh, for, for discovering, assigning, mm. you know, and, and, and triaging vulnerabilities uh, in, in all cases. Yeah, agree. AppSec is a totally different segment in discussion, right? <laughs> yeah, like if you're deploying a container and there's a critical vulnerability in a container, you know, that's part of an automated workflow. Somebody gets a Slack message that, mm -hmm. hey, you know, the container didn't go to production and, and, and here's why. You know, very different, you know, from how you're going to patch a, a Windows workstation or, you know, a, a Linux server or something like that in a more traditional IT environment. Yeah, no, you're right. There is a, a really big difference there. Because I can I can stop the build in an appsec sense, but in an IT sense I can't I can't. There's no breaking of the build process, right? Like Firefox is already deployed; it's already vulnerable. There's, there's nothing else I can do about it but patch it, right? But when talking about the traditional space, you know, I think one of the questions there is, is interesting. You know, something I'm I'm unsure of. You know, and, and that's kind of the order of the workflow. You know, like, like, should we be starting with, with a network vulnerability scan? You know, because I've seen some organizations that kind of start with the asset discovery. Um, and then they, they build that, uh, that asset software, asset database uh, of what tools and, and what software they have in their environment. You know, and then they set up a system where they get notified anytime there's a vulnerability related to that software, mm -hmm. instead of looking at the results from a vulnerability scan, which tend to be, you know, even sometimes if they're credentialed scans, you know, ha have a high uh, number of false positives, you know, that, that you have to dig through. And, and I wonder which approach, uh, you know, is, is, is really, you know, and I, you know, maybe one works better in smaller environments, one works better in larger environments. Um, you know, but I, I think it's an interesting problem for sure. Well, hopefully we, uh, provided some answers during this segment for folks and got, got everyone thinking about it. So coming up, uh, we'll be talking about some ad hoc scanning in some more technical segments and, uh, we'll be reporting back on the results from our vulnerability management testing, uh, in the coming weeks. So stay tuned. With that, we're going to take a short break and talk about the enterprise security news for this week.